Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the podcast. Rick Roberts here. And today, I've got along with me Grace Klein. Grace, I met online. Huh? Well, she took the online writing course a while back. And before I knew it, I started seeing her pop up, different conferences, different shows online. And I finally got a chance to sit down across the old table from her and find out what's going on, not only in the uh, San Diego scene, but how she got started with improv and how that has kind of transitioned into a little bit more stand-up, although she still does improv, and how all those things kind of work together, what works, what doesn't, and what she is on the trail to do here in the near future. A lot of fun. Grace has a lot of energy. You're going to dig this podcast. I would like to take just a second and thank our sponsor for this episode. It's Derek Tennant. Derek over at 14sleeves.com. Uh, Derek's got a t-shirt business. You might want to check out 14sleeves.com or $5 soft tees. Look that up. You'll find out more. But this isn't a paid sponsorship post, like an advertisement. It's just me saying thanks to Derek for supporting us through Patreon. And he has for quite some time. So thank you, sir. And thank all you who support the podcast through Patreon. You can do that by going to schooloflast.com forward slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N and learning more. And if you give it to $7 a month or more level, not only do you help keep this podcast alive by paying my editor, but you also, as a thank you, get involved with Club 52, a 52-week weekly email series that prods you to get bigger, better, and more bookable with specific takeaways that are applicable within a seven-day period. Not just uh, here's go get better and you go have to figure it out by yourself, but here's a specific thing you can do to get better as a speaker or comedian and really just as an entrepreneur. So all those things are made possible by our Patreon supporters and as a reward for those contributing at $7 a month or more, you get involved with Club 52, which also includes the quarterly hangout. Kind of a mini mastermind, a lot of fun. All right, let's get into this episode with Grace Klein, recorded at the wonderful estate of Brian Bates. Thanks, Brian, for letting us use your uh, abode, your concrete palace, your castle to record this episode. And thanks to Grace for making time when she was visiting here, visiting some friends to break away from that and do this interview. All right, here you go, Grace Klein. Grace Klein. Grace, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Rick. <laughs> I was excited. Grace is not from here. You're from where? Tell everybody where you're from. Um, I live out in San Diego. Yes. And, and you're here to see some friends and with a friend mm-hmm. to kind of hang out. And I saw that she was coming. And I think we talked about trying to find some shows for you to jump on mm-hmm. while you were here. And I said, while you're here, let's grab a podcast. And yeah. boom, we're making it happen. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Yeah. And we were talking before we got started. You. You lived in two other places, Denver and Seattle. <laughs> and even, even another place before that. What was yeah. that? <laughs> so I grew up in Illinois, and then I lived in Seattle for like eight, eight and a half years. And then I was back in Illinois for a bit, and then Denver, now San Diego. Gotcha. So yeah, I've been all over a little bit. Where, where did comedy start for you? Where was the first time you went and did an open mic night? Was it any, uh, any of those cities? Yeah, so Denver was the first place that I actually started doing stand-up. So I had done... I'd done a little bit of improv before that. I'd done improv class in Seattle, and then I was back in Illinois for a bit, and I did some improv there. 
Um, I took a sketch writing class through Second City uh, while I lived in Illinois. And then when I went to Denver, did some more improv. And then while I was there, I decided I was going to give stand up a shot. Yeah. Well, so, and they're all different animals for sure. I mean, oh, to- totally improv different. and sketch are a little more similar than, than stand up and any of those other two. Mm-hmm. But how many years ago would that have been then that you just kind of dipped your toe in the waters to get started? Uh, so five years ago is when I first started doing improv. And then it's been almost three years since I did my first open mic for stand up. Gotcha. So. And do you. I know you keep your toe in the improv thing a little bit because our yeah. mutual friend Brian Kahatsu, yes, Mike James, those mm-hmm. those jokesters out there in Arizona. I've seen <laughs> you done some shows with them. I've yeah, I've they've actually been great. They I met so I met Brian um, the first year that I came to the CCA conference in Nashville, and so him and I got to be friends. And then he was out in San Diego again for a it was a small like clean comedy conference. Mm-hmm. So he came out again. So him and I have just kind of stayed in touch. And then I met Mike the following year at the next CCA conference. Um, and so they do the, yeah, cross-eyed comedy where they do stand up and improv and some sketch stuff. And they knew that I had some background in that. And they're like, oh, you know, we'll see. I think they were kind of looking for, um, a female influence because mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, it was four, four guys, um, in that troupe when they started it. And so I think they were just kind of looking to bring somebody else in. And because I'd had some background with improv and sketch stuff, they're like, oh, you know, they'd see me perform stand up, so They knew I could do that part. Um, so that, yeah, they brought me in. So I started doing a few shows with them. That's cool. And so when you do shows with them and we'll, we'll cover everything here, but I'm just curious. So they, they probably have a certain kind of show they already do with certain games in mind mm-hmm. and, and a few sketches. Did you like, did you put yourself into some roles of pre-written things when you got there as well as bring in some of your own stuff to it or how, how did that look like when they said hey come join us yeah so the first i'm trying to remember the first time that i performed with them um went out to phoenix and they did so that yeah they already had a a couple of sketches that they had already written out and i think that i can't remember if they'd already performed them before or if that was the first time but they had done kind of the sketch they had already written the sketch out and i i think i'd had written one and submitted it and we or sent it to one of them. We didn't end up doing it, but they, so they already had one that was really good. So I just kind of jumped into that and did it. And then the improv games, um, they have, I mean, they've got so many good ones that they do and it's every show they kind of try to figure out like which ones are going to work for this show. Mm-hmm. And they always try to do some audience participation ones, which are great. Um, but I don't feel like I'm as strong as an improviser. And so there were a couple games where they were telling me, Oh, this is kind of how we do it. And stupidly I told, I told Mike, I was like, Oh, I don't, I don't think I would be good at that, that he's like, cool. That's exactly what you're doing. (laughs) So he just kind of threw me into the things that I felt the most uneasy about. Um, and just, it just kind of forced me to, to do it and to be, you know, willing to do it and jump out there. And now it's, you know, those, those particular parts in those games are now my favorite ones. Yeah. Well, that's kind of, do. that's insightful from his part too, because if you don't know how to do the game well, or you haven't done it a lot, you really have to focus on being in the moment in that game mm-hmm. so that you don't, so you don't derail it. Even if you just kind of maintain your spot in the, in the scene. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that would actually be kind of a, a great thing for every improv group to have at least one scene in the show where one of the members has never done it. Mm-hmm. So as you're explaining to the audience what this scene is about and how we're going to do it, that, mm-hmm. that performer improviser is learning it at the same time. So you can really, you wouldn't tell the audience that 
Or would you? Right. It could be fun either way. Grace has never done this before, yeah. so we're going to throw her into this. And you know what would be even really cool is, say you had three performers on the show, you, Mike, and, and Brian, you each pick a sketch or a, an improv game that one of the other two isn't familiar with. So at some point in the show, each of you are doing something for the very first time mm-hmm. as far as what that scene entails. Yeah. Yeah. And we have and we kind of do, like, there's a couple of games that we do that we kind of, you know, this is kind of giving it away, so hopefully people don't hear this part, but there's a couple that we do where we kind of play it off. Like we're kind of thinking of some stuff at the spot. Like we've kind of set oh, sure. a few things. Yeah. Like in advance, but the audience tends to love that if they think, Oh, this is totally on the fly. And we're like, well, you know, we did a little prep work, oh, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but so how much more would they love it? If that person really had no, no, idea no clue what they were, what they were walking into. So, but if you, the more I, improv, I feel like, I mean, just like, stand up you it's like a muscle like you have to keep doing it and it does to me that still scares me more doing improv even though that's what i started doing Mm -hmm. um it scares me more to do it in front of like a big audience now because i'm like oh i'm just not what if i don't what if i can't i don't have a script i can't like pull another joke out and um so it's it's definitely more terrifying for me well it (laughs) is stand up i you know i started off with an improv group i don't know if i talked about yeah i I didn't know that Mm -hmm. so that was the interesting thing for me is to see, you know, the difference between, and I kind of started improv and stand up really close to each other. And then it kind of going heavy improv for a while before I came back to stand up. But it was interesting for me to kind of learn how to do improv on the fly. I mean, I, I got inserted into a group that had already been on the road and all this kind of stuff. So like I was filling somebody's position in. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And so there was expectations from, from the audience of what this show should be. And I was just kind of learning on the fly. And it was so interesting just to, to realize, oh, I have to be a character in this scene. I have to be true to that character. I also have to be me thinking with my brain mm-hmm. and then translating what my brain thought and see if this character would say it mm-hmm. and do that within a microsecond so that the scene keeps moving at some pace. And yeah. you, know, you have so many more failures than successes in improv, even with a great improv show, mm-hmm. a couple hundred misfires, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, and we were all comics doing improv, so we were all laugh-oriented as opposed to... The other guys were very good at setting the scene and establishing the parameters and the door and the window and the table. And, yeah. And then I would come in and walk right through the table and you know, <laughs> right into the... Yeah. How is he inside the refrigerator right now? <laughs> yeah. So I had to learn all that stuff as I went along. But but what it taught me that I could apply to stand-up was to, to never just go out there and do my jokes. Like, mm-hmm. whenever I... Like I've got a joke about being in the Cracker Barrel during a tornado. So every time I tell it, I'm physically looking around and remembering a Cracker Barrel. Mm-hmm. And some nights I'll see something in the corner that I have never said on stage before, but it's in a Cracker Barrel and I'm mentally there right now in front of these people on stage. Yeah. And I'll pull out a new thing and, and it'll work because the audience can see me see it. Yeah. And so for people who have never done improv and never will or never want to, there is some value, I think, to taking an improv class. With if, especially oh, yeah. if you have no expectations of becoming a full time improviser, mm-hmm. that, that's a pretty big stretch. It's it's possible, but it's not as attainable as it might seem. Right. So if you just go in there, what can I learn from these games that I can apply to stand up? You're going to benefit from it. Oh, I I totally agree. I think that any any stand up comic should do improv. Like I I just feel like it's like that doesn't necessarily like you said have to be your oh you know full time thing or maybe you just do you know a six week class or whatever. But I think it's hugely helpful even just for um stage presence and yeah kind of being in the moment with it because i think even with stand-up too it's so easy to be trying to think about 
oh, I'm thinking about my light and I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about what's my next joke and all oh, that joke didn't it. Like you're thinking about 10 things at once mm-hmm. and sometimes it's, you get to the end of your set and you're like, I don't even remember being up there. Like, did I even say, yeah. because you're so, <laughs> yeah. you're just regurgitating your words I and know. not thinking about it. And so I think even with improv, just it forces you to be just in that moment mm-hmm. and just kind of, you know, it's all about like, yes. And like you trust, you trust yourself in that moment and just go with it. And you know, the audience is going to respond how they're going to respond. And a lot of that's out of your control either way, even if yes. you're have killer jokes. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's good and helping you trust yourself and just, and I think too, after you do it, like, Oh, I, you know what? Maybe I'll try that new bit tonight. Like I was, you know, I'm, I've prepared, I think I'm ready. Like there's just an element of even just trusting yourself and being comfortable with, people not laughing. Yeah, too. absolutely. And I think too, did you find with improv and sketch doing some characters that you brought some characters to your stand up? not necessarily the same character, but just the idea of doing voices and characters and act outs. Uh, I no, I don't think so. Cause I, I'm not like, I don't do a lot of that on like in my stand up. Like I don't do, I mean, I have a couple like little things I talk about, like, you know, things that like my girlfriends will say to me. And so I'll change my voice a little bit just to make it more annoying (laughs) (laughs) to to communicate that I'm talking about my annoying friends. Um, but I don't do, I don't do voices or like for the most part, I, I feel pretty, I I try to make it as much as I can just how I am in real life. Like when I'm on stage, Mm -hmm. so I don't do much that's different than just me. Right. Um, I probably could. And I actually did have somebody tell me, I think when I first started doing one, but he's like, Oh, you should change your voice a little bit for that. Um, and I did and it worked fine, but I like, I don't do any impressions or real physical stuff up there. Yeah. So we can take a lot out of you. Right. <laughs> yeah. But some people do like Brian Kohatsu, for example, he's very, cause he, yeah, started as an improviser before he moved into standup. And a lot of, I mean, you've seen him, a mm. lot of his stuff is very physical. He does impressions. He does voice. Like he's very, he puts everything out there when he goes and does his standup. And I think a lot of that is because that's what he did in improv. So for him and his style of comedy, I think there's a lot more of a crossover that he mm-hmm. can kind of take one and use it and the other and vice versa. Um, and I haven't quite gotten to that point yet. So. His, his level of commitment. Mm-hmm. Like the the bit that I'm most familiar with is when his his dad's reading a bedtime story. Yeah, yeah. and it's just like it's just you know in, in full Japanese uh, shogun style. Yeah, and it's just he could re- he could take all those words that I'm familiar with out of that and just mm-hmm. and just do gibberish. But his commitment to the character and the expression, yeah, is phenomenal. And mm-hmm. that's that's what I always liked about great improvisers. I mean, Phil Hartman back on Saturday Night mm-hmm. Live. Will Ferrell is is incredibly gifted too but phil hartman i thought his level of commitment to the character rarely broke you know the fourth wall or any of that kind of mm-hmm. stuff and, and that made it even funnier yeah will ferrell's really good at that too so those two guys but if you look at all the people that were ever on Saturday Night Live, those two i mean they were there for a long time because they served the other performers on stage yeah you know oh, yeah. and you're able to do that in an improv situation when you're the only person on stage mm-hmm. do, is there anything you go to mentally or any tricks that you apply that you learned in improv when you're doing stand-up to kind of either bail you out of a joke that didn't work or to once they're laughing and you don't have any more punchlines you're like well i'm in the moment what else would i say here like yeah anything like that kind of transfer over um i think that 
I've learned, I don't know if this comes as much from improv, but I think just kind of learning how to recover from a, a, a bomb or a yeah. bad joke. Yeah. And, and sometimes it came from, like, I have a couple like back pocket things that I'll just always say if I, you know, say a joke and people don't laugh, you know, some way of reminding them, hey, that was the punchline. That was where, or something that yeah. kind of lets them know, hey, I know that joke didn't work. I understand that you were supposed to be laughing and you're not now. I get it. You get it. Let's move on. Like something that makes them feel, because sometimes audiences are so tight. If they think you're bombing and you convey your bombing, they get even tighter. Cause they're like, Oh, is she, is she going to be terrible the rest of the show? And you're right. like, Oh, it was just one bad joke. Like you're fine. You can loosen up. And so I think if you, I mean, audiences can sense it. So if you can come up with some things to kind of release that tension yeah. of, uh, it's okay. I won't do that joke again or, or whatever it is that people, you know, you say, um, to kind of let them know, I realized that last joke didn't work. It was supposed to, right, but it right. didn't. <laughs> yeah. And I had a different expectation for where this was going to go. But I, so I think having some of those like back pocket comments or things I'll say to a crowd, if I do a joke and they don't laugh, I think that the, those have come from bombing You're <laughs> like, right, right. doing those jokes right. and not laughing. But I think the comfortability of it has come more from having done improv, mm -hmm. not just in the past, but even doing it again recently with, uh, you know, these, the, the cross-eyed comedy and the guys in Arizona, um, getting back into having to shift from doing a stand-up set and then coming back out and doing improv and then doing sketch, you know, it's all such different ways of thinking that I think that getting back into that has helped me in stand-up just mm -hmm. come up with things on the fly or be able to say stuff. And so now I have some of those comments or, you know, things that I'll say if a joke doesn't go over right. well, yeah. which is more often than I like, unfortunately. I just think, yeah, the spirit of experimentation is greater Yeah, if you mm -hmm. have a little bit of improv background or even just go sample what, you know, some classes to get those approaches. Mm -hmm. You don't feel so much the life and death of every single word. Right. Yeah. Which is, yeah. is the way. And that's great if you're a stand up and you, you use that to your advantage. But for most of us, it's debilitating mm -hmm. to, to put our whole life's worth based on a new punchline that doesn't work. Yeah. Oh, I know. But I was just checking to make sure that one was still not funny. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great when you have an improv group too. When we would do this on occasion, because you have that backlog of knowledge and something you can say, you're doing a live show and that situation comes up again and you're in a spot where you're getting ready to drop the line that you're familiar with getting a laugh and mm -hmm. you don't say the line that everybody in the group thinks you're going to say. Yeah. And you make them stay in the moment and bail them, you know. Right. We, would, we wouldn't necessarily stick it to each other every single night, but there'd be nights where one of the improvised, we had five people in our group, so mm -hmm. somebody was always on your nerves. Right. <laughs> if they're really on your nerves, you can stick Just them like in a the show. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so they're waiting for this gift of a setup. You're like, I'm going to go a different direction because we're improvising tonight, yeah, remember? Yeah, exactly. So you, you had the kind of double option. Mm-hmm. That's too funny. Yeah. When, um, so when you started doing a little stand-up and trying that out, what did that look like originally? Like what made you say, ah, I'm going to see what awful. this other side is like. Awful. It was so bad. <laughs> I had, so the only reason I would say the only reason I started stand up was like, I always, you know, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be funny. Mm -hmm. I knew that if I was funny, I could, you know, get attention or people would like that. So there was always kind of a, a, a goal of not necessarily being, a comedian, but just accepted. I just, I just never really pictured myself ever being a stand-up comedian, but I decided it was, uh, before I turned 30, I was like, okay, that's my, I don't really have any other things that I was like, Oh, I really need to do this, but I need, I need to at least find an open mic and try stand-up comedy. So I wrote out 
I don't know, four or five minutes or whatever I had. Um, and I went to, uh, I lived in Denver at the time and I, and for some reason, nobody knew me in Denver, but for some reason in my mind, doing it in a, a different city that I didn't live was the most comfortable. Yeah. Like there's no possibility anybody could see this except that I brought two friends with me. So <laughs> that still didn't like, it didn't matter. But anyway, so I went down to some little place in Colorado Springs, which turned out to be a, it was called a 420 speakeasy. I, uh, I thought that was just like the name. I mean, everything's named after 420. Sure. It was a weed bar, which I didn't even know was a thing. So we like walked in. I was like, what? This this is going to actually make it better or worse? I'm <laughs> right. not sure. I'm not sure. It's going to skew the results in one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We had to see. So, um, so I did my, you know, four or five minutes and... It was awful, but it, you know, I had nothing to compare it to. So, so it was also the best you'd ever so done. It was also the best I'd ever done. I got off stage and I was like, well, I think I didn't, I didn't think I'd bombed looking back. I for sure had, but at the time I was like, mm-hmm. but it was just exhilarating. And so I thought, Oh, okay. No, this is, I get it. I get why people do this. This, yeah. is, this is amazing. Um, and then the first time that I bombed real that I knew that I bombed really hard was probably my fifth or sixth time doing it. So I started hitting up some open mics in Denver and, trying a couple new things. And, um, I, it was the same thing. I brought a couple friends They're like, Oh, you see, you know, we want to, which when you first start out, you're like, yeah, guys, I'm doing an open mic. You want right. to like come out and grab a drink and watch me. And now if people tell me they're coming, I'm like, I, I mean, you don't have to I yeah. just meet up with you later. The other like, people on the show, it's, they're probably going to offend you really bad. Yeah, right? Like you don't it's need a little to, pricey. it's fine. You don't need to watch me. <laughs> um, so, but I had a couple of friends come and I remember the host even joked, He's like, well, you can tell this girl's new at comedy because she has four of her friends with her. Oh. <laughs> Great. So he even just <laughs> totally called me out. I went up and I just ate it. It oh. was awful. My friends didn't laugh. Nobody laughed. It was just crickets. And I felt horrible. I got off stage and I walked right out oh. and I texted my friend. I was like, I don't think I can go back in there. She's like, it's fine. It's fine. Oh, <laughs> I like, man. No, I don't think it is. It's terrible. <laughs> Do you ever wonder so, if, if like that introduction affected the audience's perception of what you were going to do on stage or have you just, do you, are you pretty sure you bombed regardless of how you were introduced? Cause I, yeah, I, I think I bombed either way. <laughs> okay. I, think I was trying was, to throw you a lifeline. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate it. But I mean, it was one of those open mics that was at, it was at a bar. I mean, those are always, I mean, any open mic you never know because a lot of the people that are going, they're not there to see comedy. So they're there to have drinks with their friends and they're talking and, you know, yeah. some guy gets up on, you know, the host is out of those events is usually trying out new material in his first five minutes. And so he's doing jokes and people yeah. are like, what is going on? And then, you know, so it's just such a mixed bag at open mics anyway. I'm pretty sure it didn't matter how he introduced me. I, it wasn't. It was bad. It was just going to be bad. So. But, but what, did you do, what did you do after that fifth time? Did, did you take a little time off or did you? I went out the next night. Boom. And did Get it. back on the horse. Yep. Did it right. Because I knew, I knew that if I didn't. I, w- I would just... It would fester. Yeah, despair over how I'd, you know, done comedy five times and it had been awful. <laughs> like, yeah. And so I was like, I have to I have to go right back out and do it. Uh-huh. And then the next night I went out... Um, crushed it. And I, yeah, crushed it. Got <laughs> booked. I have an agent now. <laughs> um, no, I went out the next night and I did, you know, another, just a different open mic. And I, I remember it being like, okay. And I yeah. was like, oh, it was, it was okay enough that I felt, okay. Okay, I'm not. I can. I can keep doing this. Like yeah. that wasn't the worst. I didn't die. But it was kind of like the so. first insight to the roller coaster that it can be, right? Because you're Ex- like, yes. Because before you, absolutely, you know, got a little better probably each time, or at least you felt more comfortable the fourth time, and then mm-hmm. the fifth time comes around and it's like back to zero. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And then you you know you might have ten or twelve good shows. And then oh, that's a stinker, you know. So yeah, what was the point where you thought that not only were you surviving it, but and you understood it, but you started enjoying it? Like okay, I can't. <laughs> Have you got there yet? Yes, yesterday. <laughs> I know. Cause I've gone through phases <laughs> yeah. where it's like, it, yesterday it's an I didn't even perform and I just felt that way. <laughs> um, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm still at a spot where I'm, I'm always like, is this, is this normal? Like, is this how everybody feels? Which is why these podcasts are so great because you listen to other comedians and they talk about stuff and you go, Oh, Oh, okay. Okay. No, I, I totally understand. The struggle is real. The struggle is real. Yeah. Everybody goes through. And even like at all different levels, like I hear comedians, um, and he, you know, I've got, got a couple friends that are, you know, fairly successful within comedy and, you know, I talk with them about it and they hear the same things from them. So like at all different levels, mm. it's kind of the, the common denominator is that we're all like, we, like I was telling you earlier, I'm just like, well, oh, I've, I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think the biggest thing now is I'm still trying to just get more time. Like I, so I host a lot. I am see a lot, uh, a club out in San Diego and a few other gigs. And, um, I've kind of become one of the, the go-tos for some of the, the hosting, um, which I really enjoy. A lot of comics don't want to do it. Um, it's, it's hard. <laughs> and I think that there's kind of a, when, you know, once a lot of comics get to a certain point, they're like, I don't want to host anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but that's just kind of the level that I'm at. And I also, I really like doing it. I like being a part of the show. I like meeting, you meet more people that way. Um, you just draw a lot of observations by hosting. So I do that, but I am trying to get to a point where I can start featuring. Like I'd like to start doing more time. Um, I actually have my first, I guess kind of first like official feature that I'm doing in a couple of weeks out at a show in, in San Diego. Um, so I'm trying to kind of just build up time. And honestly, I don't know. I think I'm still kind of at a point where I'm like, I didn't even necessarily have much of a plan when I got into this. I just wanted to do it. And now I'm kind of doing it. And I, I don't know if that'll be, you know, I've, I've done some church shows. Uh, most of the stuff I do is like clubs and, you know, kind of like all, all shows. Um, but I, yeah, I'd like to do that more. I think I'd like to, just yeah, get better at writing and maybe find find some old comedian who wants to mentor me. <laughs> like, but even that, I'm like, I don't even know what to ask. I Man, just, I don't like, even know any old comedians. Somebody, yeah, <laughs> so, you know, kind of, you know, have I don't know, just get just get better at it and hmm. um, continue to kind of get. It's hard too because there, you know, a lot of comedy is you do have to reach out a lot and you kind of have to really put yourself out there. And that's like, that's hard. That's really hard for me. Cause I don't, I don't want to be obnoxious. I don't want to be mm-hmm. the person who's like, Hey, can you help me? Hey, can you do this? Hey, can you do that? And so it's hard to find that balance between like, you, you have to, like you have to put yourself out there, um, without, you know, being a pain to anybody or being no. like, dude, that girl, Grace, she will, if you don't shut her down, she will hit you up. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't want to get to that point, but like kind of figuring out that balance of like reaching out. But, um, you know, I don't know. Well, I think it'll be fine because the what you said there is what every comic should be focused on: getting better, spending, mm-hmm. getting more stage time, and writing more material. Yeah, and you know, and reaching out. That if I could go back in a time machine to 1991, when mm-hmm. I the year of our Lord 1991, <laughs> uh, is I would have asked BC or 80. Oh or? my goodness, it was I call it BC before comedy. <laughs> right. It was probably 99 before there was real comedy happening. <laughs> but I would have asked for help and and. And reached out to comedy, hey, if you need an opening act or if you need mm-hmm. this. I didn't do any of that. And I know sometimes they would say no, but a lot of them would have said yes. Yeah. And I could have like got my foot in the door with different 
you know, club, everything, it would have helped the mm-hmm. process. Plus, if I'm open for somebody who's more experienced, I'd probably learn a lot from seeing them in yeah. multiple venues and having the drive into gigs with them or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just never did. I, I'm like you. I didn't want to be a, a pest. But you're not being a pest. You're being somebody who's pursuing yeah. a goal. And the people that will say no will say no to everybody. It's not mm-hmm. just you. And the people that say yes, they're happy to help. Yeah. So And people, I think, will tell you, like, oh, back off a little right? bit. <laughs> well, I think the thing, too, is often, like, yeah, I was talking about this with somebody. They said something about, you know, getting gigs. I said, oh, some, I'm not even sometimes trying to get gigs. I'm just trying to, like, glean some advice or mm-hmm. just be you know hear what people have to say or you know and i mean i could you can do that to some degree at some clubs but eventually you walk out and you're like Oof, i don't i think i need to like talk to somebody who knows a little bit more about what they're doing because i don't know like what yeah. i'm doing and um so yeah sometimes it's just for you know i think it's good for people to have people that are further along who like not yeah i mean if you can get shows out of it that's great but sometimes just having other people that know what they're doing who will be like yeah i'll look at your video or i'll check this mm-hmm. out or you know maybe do this or someone that you can just kind of bend their ear a little bit so i feel like every comic needs to find somebody that's not on their level that will do that for sure <laughs> do that for and, them. and you know a good way to kind of initiate that too is simply you know say you watch three comics at a, a regular show at a comedy club mm-hmm. is go up to the middle act and go you know you know what's something I learned from watching your set right now? Mm-hmm. They're going to be intrigued because they're like, well, what did I do? You know, right. it's about them. Which <laughs> it's just, And you're going to tell them something that you learned. Like I, the way you paused right there or the way, that was like a triple misdirection. Mm-hmm. And I'm new at comedy, but I, I know that much and I saw it and I appreciated that. That person, that comic sh- should be like, wow, this person loves comedy. Right. So you establish the comic connection that you both love the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then if, if, you talk a little bit further and you go, well, I've, uh, I learned from watching, but do you have a general tip? I mean, they're probably way more likely to go, oh, wow, yeah, because you love comedy. And, yeah. you know, and they may even just say, oh, yeah, I just that was the first time I tried that triple misdirection thing right. tonight. And then, <laughs> then you just get into the nerdy part of comedy, which yeah. most comics are pretty happy to talk about. Mm-hmm. So without even asking permission to get, or asking for advice, they're just offering it up because they see you're in that mode of learning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so just always give them something useful, mm-hmm. something that you learned and noticed because they could they maybe didn't even notice that they did that right there, there's parts of co- my comedy shows where people have like oh when you did that thing right there that was i like that and i'm like i didn't know i was doing that I thing right there it, yeah thanks now i'm gonna do it more yeah so you never know but mm-hmm. like we say the, the struggles are always the same and different at each level yeah every comic wants to know what they're doing so they can do it better so mm-hmm. yeah but i think that'll be good yeah. and in, and uh if you want people to check in with you or, or see your website or a Twitter, mm-hmm. is there anything that you'd like to send people towards or multiple things? Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm on social media. My, I kind of hate, I need to change my handle because it's grace underscore E underscore Klein. Which yeah, is that's not going to get you any traction. I know. It's Well, it's hard to because on, on a couple of the um, sites, it's too long to be Grace Klein. Com- so I got to figure that out. But anyway, that's where I'm at now. You can just look up Grace Klein. I'm sure I'll pop up. What about no um, grace here? No. Or no grace given? No grace for you. Grace for everyone. Like, yeah. oh, I don't know about that. The that's human little- grace. <laughs> okay. that, that's that's like, your first CD title. She didn't even my last text message. What does she mean? Grace <laughs> for everyone. Um, yeah. And then Grace Klein Comedy is my website. So I've got all that stuff on there. So any places that I'll be my shows got a couple clips and you can click the little things on the bottom and that'll take you right to grace dot or grace underscore e underscore there you go you don't have to type it all in and if you see grace (laughs) 
after the show, walk up to her and go, you know what I like about that one thing you did right there? You know what I learned from watching your show? And she'll go, oh, no. I'm on the other side of this. Get away, pest. I'm not here to help you. Give you Rick Roberts' email address. He's got way more than that. It's R-I-C-K if you want to email me. Cool. Well, thanks, Grace. I'm glad. Yeah, you, thanks so much for having me on. You have Appreciate fun it. and uh, avoid the pedal taverns and getting run over by the crazy people downtown, the oh, scooters gosh, and whatnot. I'll, I'll do my best. So Cool. Thanks. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Grace Klein. A lot of ideas bouncing around in that head. Uh, a lot of drive. You know, and I think for somebody that's five years in, she's got the right questions and the right, you know, kind of overall look at things. You can't get everywhere in five years, but she certainly has gotten quite a far way down the road. And I expect the next five years to be even bigger and better. And I know she's going to get more bookable as she goes. So thank you, Grace, for carving out time to be with us. Thanks again to Derek Tennant over there at $5softees.com for sponsoring the podcast. And thanks to everyone who's listening out there. I'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode. And until then, thank you. Thanks, Doc Kennedy, for editing. Stay safe and stay funny. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLaughs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay funny.